It's kind of like a hockey arena. You have the boards set up so they can skate around the rink and they can't go beyond. Today, I talked to master teacher Chris Russell on some of his best classroom management strategies. I'm your host, Celeste Kirsch, and we are teaching tomorrow. I met Chris Russell in my first year of teaching. I had the best first job ever as a teacher, essentially a paid internship where I could continue practice teaching and learn from four veteran teachers. I couldn't believe how lucky I was to get to watch and observe Chris in action. He embodied all of the best classroom management strategies that I'd heard about in teacher's college, but it was even better than I could have ever imagined because he just did it authentically like an extension of himself. Students who were distracted and difficult with other teachers were the academic equivalent of focused samurai warriors in his care. Many of my best classroom management strategies I adopted from watching Chris teach. The best possible way to get what he does is to watch him in action. The next best thing is to listen to him describing some of his norms and routines in this conversation. In this episode, we talk about simple, low-intervention strategies that you can literally start experimenting with tomorrow in your classroom. I'm going to hand it off to Chris as he is an amazing teacher that you don't want to miss out on learning from. Chris Russell, welcome to the podcast. Good to be here. Um, why don't we just start with a quick little warm-up. So tell everyone who you are, uh, what levels you teach, and what you like doing when you're not in the classroom. Okay. <laughs> So this is currently my 24th year as an educator, uh, formally, you know, once you get your certification, but I've always loved working with, with youth. Um, currently I'm at the Maven School in Toronto, Ontario, it's my ninth year here. Uh, I've been lucky to teach single gender uh, as well as co-ed, and I've taught everything from grades one to six throughout my career. I was lucky to start way back in grade one, so that helped me <laughs> with building blocks. Uh, You've grown up with the I've, grades. That's right. <laughs> I don't teach anything past grade six, though, because then they're like taller than me. Even uh -huh. six is dicey. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm currently in grade six at the Maven School. Uh -huh. And what do you like doing when you're not in the classroom? If there are times when you're not in the oh, classroom. No, I think we all, whether it's students, educators, all of us, we need a life outside our <laughs> classrooms. It so. makes us so much more interesting, both the students and us. Um, I like a variety of things. I love all kinds of athletics, the arts, photography in particular, uh, the outdoors, family, friends, mm -hmm. good food. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, I don't think people know this, but I saw you teach in my first year of teaching and I had the privilege of being, I wanna say like helper person, but my official title was associate teacher and I was attached to your classroom and three other people's classrooms. Mm. and. One of my best friends, Laura, she also saw you teach when she was a, like, I, I guess a teacher candidate. So yeah, she was that's right. a placement in your classroom. And mm. I heard about you before I actually met you as a teacher because cool. she actually interviewed you for her master's I remember that. thesis paper. Yeah. So when we were just like editing each other's work, I'm like, who is this Chris Russell guy? And like, why does he know everything about classroom management? Which is maybe not entirely true. No, a lot of trial and error. <laughs> and I, in turn, have also learned from people. And you also learn, as an educator, what works for you and for your kids in a particular 
cohort um, yeah. and you keep certain things and certain things you you don't but I have to say that all of my I don't want to call them tricks but all the things that I do really really well with mm. classroom management came from observing you no, that means a lot thank you yeah, yeah. It, it's um, really subtle things that you do but I wanted to bring you onto the show because you you're an expert in so many different aspects of education but particularly with being able to guide and gently steer a group of young people towards mm. success is something you're really, really good at. Um, so I want to just start, can you just like somehow encapsulate your teaching philosophy, mm-hmm. maybe related to classroom management, maybe not, but they all overlap. Um, could you boil that down to like a pithy tweet or a punchy elevator statement? Yeah, actually, you know what? I was, I was, I wouldn't say challenged, but um, I was asked my first year of teaching, you know, way back in 1996. Um, I taught grade one at the time, and I think it was curriculum night or around that time. And, uh, you know, a really uh, excited, nervous group of parents. You know, our goals are the same. We wanted a great year for their kids. That never mm. changes. Um, and a parent did ask me, they said, so what's your teaching philosophy? And, <laughs> like just cornered and, you in the classroom and, and I you know they weren't being too uh, harsh in their questioning but they were curious mm-hmm. and it was a fair question and I mean inside you know it was like a duck outside I remained calm and inside I was like oh my god that's, oh. that's a great question that's totally a fair question like how do I boil this down yeah um but I've kind of carried my answer with me throughout my career like again what's right for me isn't necessarily right for someone else but in my view you know, I, I hope to have kids that uh, feel good about themselves and aren't scared to take risks. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, in terms of classroom management, um, you know, it kind of boils down to a safe and consistent classroom hmm. where, you know, every kid comes in uh, with talents and it's our job to try and unearth those. And for some, it's deep excavation and <laughs> sometimes it's close to the service and it's not guarded um, so you know I mean therein lies for all of us on a daily basis whether you're a first year teacher uh, you know 24 years like myself like you're constantly learning and striving to somehow access them going back to my point about uh, you know creating a, an environment where kids can feel good about themselves and not be scared to take risks Throughout my career, there have been three words that are kind of at the front of the class, and I speak to them on the, like the very first day. Can we try to say these at the exact same time? Are we going to say the letters <laughs> or the actual words? Well, I know what they are, so let's do the letters at the exact same time. Okay. One, two, two three. K P R. It stands for <laughs> kindness, politeness, and respect. It's amazing. It's um, so simple, but it's so it's so elegant and it captures so much in fairness uh, in my first year teaching in grade one I uh, had also a fellow teacher uh, in grade one beside me where I started my career in formerly East York and East York work and um, and this this partner of mine as well uh, he kind of came up with with the, the KPR he just you know said kindness politeness respect because we were talking with grade one students mm-hmm. right um, I don't know if, if Tim Houston, if you're listening, but you know, you are a great guy to teach with. Um, I've carried those three words throughout my career. Do you um, have a tattoo of kindness, politeness, respect somewhere? No, I'm, I'm tattoo free. I'm a little lame. 
I'm old school, but uh, you know what? Never say never. Yeah. <laughs> um, so those are the three pillars. And I say to the kids on the first day and re revisit them, you know, when need be. Like I know during a week we'll, we'll kind of go back to those if we're kind of either losing it <laughs> academically or on a social level <laughs> or even walking through the halls. They're the pillars. And I said, I ex you can expect those three things from me. And I expect those three things from you, mm -hmm. but also most importantly amongst yourselves. And I said, we're going to have really great days in here. Um, and we're going to have days where like a family or a team, we've got to work through stuff, mm -hmm. but it always goes back to that. And so, you know, that's kind of, um, that's the philosophy. And then those are the three pillars that help kind of, um, they're the foundation of the room and of the program. Um, but then there are routines, which maybe we'll get into eventually, that uh, I, I set up in the class that, so that the kids can actually run the room mm -hmm. um, and they understand how they, they move around the room and navigate it, whether it's handing in work, doing work, researching. Um, you know, there's room for them to move or breathe, kind of like, a, let's say, a hockey rink. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's certain management structures in place where they can create move around the ice, but the boards are there right. um, So they don't kind of go beyond I think and what's amazing about what I've seen you do as a teacher is that it's not just a catchphrase for you Like you really embody those three words and how you work with the children um, So let's get into more practical things because I'm I'm curious over the years mm -hmm what have been some challenges that have arose for you as a teacher? Like I'm even thinking of like early Chris Russell, mm -hmm. new, fresh, young pup of a teacher. Uh, what were those challenges? And then what were some of the management strategies that you created to address those challenges? Um, right away, I think about um, kids that come in the room that maybe are going to make you earn their trust. Some kids are very giving of it right away. Some kids are a little more jaded. We all come into the room with different experiences. So trust takes time. And so, you know, when I think about challenges, um, you know, what do you do when um, someone constantly interrupts? <laughs> or, you know, so it's ac an, an academic slant, or if someone's really having difficulty at recess. Um, so there's all these different facets to school life. If, we, if we're in the classroom thinking about the class, um, you know, even differentiation. Again, everybody comes in here with talents. Everybody comes in here working at different paces and with different interests. So, you know, how do you manage those when when kids are functioning, let's say, um, at different academic uh, levels, if you will, um, when we, you know, going back to sort of the Ontario curriculum and, mm -hmm. and children's levels, and how do we how do we move kids uh, where they can be to we there can be successful? Um, so that's how I break it down: is behavior and academic. Mm -hmm. So behaviorally, first, um, you know, for instance. You're in the middle of a lesson, someone interrupts. So one strategy is if I'm in the middle of speaking and I hear or see, that's what I'll do, I'll just stop, mm. right? And so just then there was that, whoa, 
what was that? What's he doing? Sometimes that's enough for certain kids. The next level that often young professionals learn is proximity. You kind of just go stand close to, mm-hmm. right? The other thing is, is you know, all of a sudden it's not really working. So then what it might entail, there's two avenues you can pursue. You might just quietly invite that student to, you know, they just might need a stretch. Like mm-hmm. when I think about myself in staff meetings, seriously, I'm good for about 20, 25 mm-hmm. minutes. Mm-hmm. And then I know personally, it's not out of disinterest or disrespect. It's just I need to just go for a quick stretch and come back. Yeah. I need to move to think. A lot of kids are like that if you think about the kids we work with these days. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's a quiet conversation really quickly. Um, you know, Obviously easier if they're in group work or at their desks rather than at the rug in a whole lesson. But you know, I think about the coaches and teachers that I respected. Um, they didn't tear a strip off of me in front of everybody. Mm-hmm. So again, you're building trust. Um, you know, so there's there's different levels and ways to kind of go about um, dealing with an interruption. I think that's so perfect because you're starting with the lowest possible level of intervention, mm-hmm. and then you're slowly starting to increase it based on what is happening for that child and. I think I read somewhere like the lowest possible level of intervention that's necessary is the right amount of discipline or um, support to give a child. Like even when it comes to like children breaking rules, like, mm. you know, stealing something or doing something right. much more serious than just talking out. Right. That's really cool. Yeah. And same thing. Like I've had, I remember you know, I taught a grade four class um, and uh, it was single gender, all girls, and um, the girl was new to new to our school, and so it was new routines, it was new friends, it was new teachers, it was new everything, and you know, um, we all make bad decisions at times, and sometimes, um, you know, I just remember this this one girl, she had taken something of from someone else, mm. and we found it within her bag, <sighs> and so. You know, again, it was sort of a quiet conversation, myself and my teaching assistant, to kind of, like, what were you thinking? And, and I mean, ultimately, it was a bit of a, a cry for help in a really strange way. Um, as soon as you, because I said, another management strategy, I trust you until you give me a reason not to trust you. You know, it's that rights and responsibilities thing. You know, you have the right to be trusted. You have the responsibility to maintain that trust. Mm. So I said, you know, listen, I forget things. So this is where the whole kindness, politeness, respect, you know, the whole sort of being among them if, when you can. I forget things. I get things wrong from time to time. I'm not perfect. Mm. Um, I know a lot. I don't know everything. Sometimes if we need to find the answer, we'll do it together. Um, but with homework, you know, you forget once, stuff happens. Twice, now my radar's up. Three times, I have to reach out in partnership with you to your family to come up with a plan because what's currently happening isn't working for mm-hmm. you. I want you to be successful, but I also, you have a role in that. Um, so that's, you know, around homework, that's another sort of bumping up type thing, yeah. right? Giving them a chance mm-hmm. because we all make mistakes. You don't want to slam someone for, you know, 
making a mistake or you know maybe something kind of really crappy happened at home that night mm -hmm. that I'm not aware of the parent has had time to send an email but three times there's a pattern right there's right so giving them a chance um, just like you know if you or an I you or I were students we always appreciated you know hmm. likely appreciated a chance so this is the third week of school now mm -hmm. we're mid-september uh, walk me through the norms and routines that you're typically introducing to your students in these mm -hmm. very early weeks in September. Okay. I'd love to be able to, like, I'm a visual learner. <laughs> you know, it would be great if we could just you know take what we should, you know what through do? a virtual... Um, I'm going to take a little video of your space, and I can post that up in the show notes so people can... Sure. You talk us through your space, and then uh, we'll okay. do a quick little video clip so people can see this. <clears throat> so before I get into sort of the... Well, actually, I'll, I'll start with where have we been? Uh-huh. You know, where are we now? Maybe we'll get to where are we going, but that <laughs> might not be appropriate for this conversation. But so, <laughs> so, for example, before school begins in August... Some people send an August letter. Um, I typically do. Some people don't. That's fine. Again, what works for me doesn't have to work for someone else. In the August letter, what I will ask students to do is I will ask them to try, no, to bring in three things for the first day. Mm. Um, and I try to make it something light and fun. And so it's an extension of themselves coming into the classroom and hopefully meaningful to them rather than me assigning something that doesn't really have any meaning or difference to them. So um, I like to laugh. I hope kids like to laugh. I ask them to bring in uh, a comic mm. or a cartoon mm -hmm. um, that interests them. Now some kids, you know, maybe it's my age, and like, what's a cartoon? <laughs> or what does he mean? What's a cartoon strip? So, um, you know, talking about different forms of media literacy. Anyway, mm -hmm. it could be... Um, you know, uh, yeah, newspaper, magazine, but they might get it off of YouTube and take mm -hmm. a, you know, like a, a, a freeze frame shot of it, whatever. Um, so they bring that in. I refer to the Book of Awesome, which kind of, you know, celebrates the simpler things in life. Um, those simpler moments that don't necessarily cost money. I mean, they can, but that we can celebrate. You know, so for example, when I think about my two children, my son when he was younger and still is today, to, to this day now that he's even a teenager, he loves to take the dryer, the laundry out of the dryer when mm. it's warm, especially on a winter day and just like roll in it. Cuddle it. <laughs> Cuddle it. Yeah, that sounds better. Um, and my daughter loves to be the first to scoop uh, the first spoon out of a new jar of peanut butter. Oh, yeah. So I ask kids to bring in something that they think is awesome to them. Mm. And last but not least, because they're kind of a, a, you know, they're digital citizens, I asked them to bring in a YouTube clip that of something that's either something that's inspiring, fun, interesting, creative, funny, yeah, whatever, whatever they'd like to share. And so, you know, those things come to school and they help us navigate some discussion over the first few days as we settle in, try to develop a team culture, a class culture. And establish routines so that's before they arrive when they arrive the very first day they come in they're welcomed as soon as they come in class I have them read the board the schedule that routine does not change throughout the year please read the schedule and then beside that is an agenda message 
because I want them to keep track of their homework. Parents have to know what's going on. Um, you know, I use also communicate through other, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like newsletters Internet or structures or, sure. you know, whether it's Google Docs or yeah. that type of thing. And your children are using paper agendas when they come in. Paper agendas, mm -hmm. yeah. I, I want to provide them with a repertoire of skills, you know, a, a quick aside, like I allow them and support them in typing in here, mm -hmm. printing, and cursive. Yeah. And I want them to have a repertoire to choose from. Yeah. Some kids don't know how to sign their name on a, on a document right mm -hmm. now, right? So I believe in balance. Um, anyway, they come in, they're writing their agenda, what the message is, word for word that is on the schedule. Even if there's not any homework, they have to write no assigned homework. Right. Paying attention to detail. Mm -hmm. After that's done, they're at their desk clusters, and I have something called the business bin. And the business bin is stuff that they need to be made aware of. It's kind of like morning roll call, I guess, if you were a police officer. <laughs> you know, the team's there, and, you know, captain's at the front and just trying to... I also get a chance to see who's with me, who's not with me, who's maybe coming disheveled, potentially some mm. upset in the morning. Like, I just... We're together. Um... And, and then I get a sense before we either move on to program in the class or before they go off to specialist teachers. I'm also curious about like how you facilitate group discussions because mm -hmm. I've seen you do this before in such a way that is so subtle mm -hmm. and yet you're allowing more voices to get hurt. So we've all been in that situation where with a group of young people there's a couple of voices that are continuing to share or continuing to blurt out and then there's a few people who are not getting their voices heard mm. um, tell me a little bit about how you structure like people talking in your space to each other mm -hmm. like how do you make that work All right so for a large group discussion um, you know, in all our classes, as you alluded to, there are people that are very forthcoming mm -hmm. and comfortable sharing. And then there's, there's quieter ones. So, you know, um, let's start with large group and then go into smaller group. In a large group situation, it's okay if those dominant voices help get the ball rolling, just in my opinion. Um, okay. But then I also invite... And this is, this is building trust, uh, you know, inviting. So I'll say something to the effect of, you know, I've heard from a few friends, which is great. Um, for those of you that haven't had a chance to share yet, I encourage you to. Your voices are important, mm -hmm. um, just as this continues on. Um, if certain kids are not forthcoming, then I will uh, invite um, a kid to offer something. Uh, I say, but you have the right to pass. But hopefully at some point, you know, whether it's now or in a smaller group discussion, just know what you are thinking is important. Mm. So trying to build them up, but also indirectly saying, listen, you know, you're accountable. Right. Um, but, you know, I, I, I won't say to a kid, we're waiting. <laughs> yeah. Say something. You know, like that's... Because then the trust has just been eroded. Mm -hmm. So it is about, you know, firm and fair expectation, but also understanding that, you know, maybe a kid's not ready yet. Maybe they don't fully understand the task. Maybe what they're doing is too personal. Maybe mm -hmm. they've had a crummy morning. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And that's when I would quietly check in with a kid. 
Um, so, you know, we've, we've had a classroom discussion where you try to get everyone involved. Um, you know, maybe later in the debrief, you come back and those kids, those two kids that weren't ready during the initial discussion, maybe in the de debrief, now they are comfortable with offering something to say. Mm -hmm. And that could be they've arrived at that place on their own. Maybe something's happened to inspire them in the discussion with their peers in smaller groups, or maybe I've sat down or the learning strategies teacher, which is, a, is a, someone who's in the room as well, in partnership with me, uh, certain days of the week. Um, you know, maybe we've helped scaffold knowledge uh, and comfort so that mm -hmm. they can share in the debrief. Mm -hmm. Then they break off into smaller groups, and of course we circulate, we meaning us as professionals, we circulate. And you'll see that there are certain combinations and groups of kids that are able to have a constructive dialogue and they're doing just fine on their own. But you'll notice groups where maybe it's not what they say, but it's how they're saying it. Mm -hmm. And so they need a little modeling and coaching to kind of go in and say, you know, your ideas there are great. How might you say it differently mm -hmm. to invite the others in right now? Again, like, you know, think about it. And I might do something funny again you, you're going with your professional gut and your instinct and your experience um you know maybe you say something funny but you know one way a constructive tone and in one way a not so great tone mm -hmm. right hopefully to make them laugh again not to undermine the kid yeah um and then just sort of you know redirecting them because maybe you know that's just how they talk to each other at home mm -hmm. with an edge and they don't even know they're doing it right um, or maybe some kids are dominant and they know they're doing it, but mm. they need you to, the group needs you to kind of facilitate now. Yeah. Right. So those are just some of my thoughts about managing from the large to the smaller. Well, something I've seen you do before, which I think is awesome that I've completely stolen from you is that you also do such a fantastic job of celebrating the behaviors that you want in your classroom. So I can remember the class that you had when I was uh, attached to your class that year. And mm -hmm. they were like, there was a lot of energy. There was a lot of personality in that yep. room that year. And it was so, it was so cra like carefully crafted, I want to say. How, like for example, the scene that I'm going to set is, mm -hmm. you know, you've allowed children to just go and talk to each other and then you want to regroup and get everyone's attention again and right. maybe you've had them do like the clapping routine or you've gotten something happening to get everyone to come back together and there's like you know half the kids are paying attention and half the kids are talking amongst themselves and I just remember so clearly like in that moment you saying oh thank you Sarah thank you so much for paying attention ah oh, great Holly, yeah. I've got your attention. Awesome. Thank you, Holly. Oh, Justine, I love love that you're looking over here up at the board. Right. And you do it with like a very calm voice. Like I'm sure people can tell like you're a very even keeled dude and like your tone with the students is so even and measured. And then all of a sudden everyone else in the group is just like, oh, I want Mr. Russell to give me a compliment mm -hmm. too. And it's like that positive reinforcement mm -hmm. of the behavior you want mm -hmm. versus calling out the behavior that you don't want like it's so and like you instantly see it with those kids who are just like hungry for attention mm -hmm. and the only way they've gotten it up until this point is by 
blurting out things or shouting out or being funny and they realize oh actually I can get attention by doing the right thing too yeah I was lucky to you know when I'm thinking back to my formative years and teacher education I was lucky to sort of see people do that right mm-hmm. and you mold it to your own sort of way and yeah I think you know, we think back to the people when we were students or in our lives you know if they those that are constructive so yeah I, I think another time about structures and management like on the first day and throughout the year when I want the kids attention I said there'll be two ways mm-hmm. first way is I go okay guys one two three or I count backwards three yeah. two one whatever it's interchangeable right and and typically like if you keep that consistently you know consistency they'll be with you it's when you sort of change back and forth and that's something I learned earlier in my career teaching grade one if you're changing the rhythms and the routines kids don't know how to respond mm. so you know there was one year early in my career that you know I think it was like November and I really wanted to change one aspect of my classroom management and it was really hard mm-hmm. because I had already established something and I learned right away that yeah. you know what can I live with this I and guess sometimes I, the thing we've established is mismanagement right. sometimes the things is chaos that right. we've created yeah, yeah. And, and listen I mean that happens to all of us right mm-hmm. and it's only with experience and time that you but you know so if you've if you've gone with something for a month or two it is kind of hard to undo um, but stick with it but yeah I think you know that there's the counting um, or I said sometimes I might need to flick the light mm-hmm. if we're really into what we're doing and you know we learn through talking there's gonna be times in here where we're talking a ton and times when we're focused and quiet and independent and times when we're collaborative and um, so yeah that's that's for sure and again you know thanks to Sarah for being ready Jacob great mm-hmm. thing you know and folks and I find sometimes if need be humor yeah for those kids that are really tough to access you know um you know sometimes just a, a stopping again if i'm in the middle they'll get it right mm-hmm. but you know i think i know over the time humor humor's worked i don't always go to humor because sometimes then they laugh and they're out of control and they're not where you want them to be again right but yeah for those one or two outliers you know i i i know sometimes i'll just sort of turn to the wall and go so wall how are you, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's nice to you know you're oh, you're, you're listening to me it's, yeah. You know, yeah um you know and then the kids kind of go what's he doing I don't know. <laughs> yeah and then they teachers come. lost it yeah um so humor when you can but consistent rhythms and routines for sure fantastic and thinking about people who maybe are at the beginning of their teaching career or they want to switch things up. Like right, right now, like we're mid-September, hopefully this won't uh, be that much longer before it goes to actual air. Right. So I'm wondering, do you have any like really practical things that people might be able to take into their practice that you haven't mentioned already mm-hmm. that could be like a dial mover for them in terms of classroom management? Yeah, um, so transitions. Mm. Uh, you know you could have chaos and transitions also uh, I teach grade six so you know there's a lot of output and papers and books and in grade one teachers are so I'm just kind of going from one end to the other Mm -hmm. end of the spectrum the primary to the top of the junior at our school Um, you know where do you put all the paper and 
the marking and you know so I'll just speak to those two things so um, first of all transitions students let's say are working either at their desk or all over the room doesn't matter mm -hmm. I want to get their attention and we need to go to recess or we need to go to another class so something that's really important is you know if they've got five minutes left before you're going to stop them it's important to say ladies and gentlemen five minutes before we stop right mm. two minutes before we stop okay one two three i have a toddler and i right? do that every time we go to the park yeah. like that's exactly classic. you because if you know sometimes some kids can handle the quick abrupt Most of stop us can't, but, though. but you know that just letting them know it's coming mm. and so i make sure that i have everybody's attention so they hear the instruction and to make sure the instructions are really short mm. so i'm not long-winded so for instance i need them to get let's say they're working all over the room okay um so I need them to get from where they are, I need them to tidy the room, I need them to be at their desk, and show me they're ready to move. Three things. So what I will typically do is I'll say, when I say go, and that's another management strategy, it works for grade one and up. When I say go, up, I haven't said go yet. When I say go, books, at your desk, open for me to mark, computers away, standing behind your chair ready. Books away, at your desk open, computers away, sorry, I, I, it's the end of the day for me, but I'll say computers <laughs> away, books at your desk open, standing behind your chair, go. Mm. That's it. So they, you know, kids line up, they put their computers away, make sure they're plugged in, leave your book open because they know open means hey teach I need you to mark this mm. when they come back in the room if it's closed they know that I've marked it they can check their feedback if it's still open it means either I've marked it and they have to go back to do something or I just haven't finished marking it so and then once they're behind their chair um, I will dismiss a desk cluster at a time uh, in grade six they're okay going down the stairs on their own but I don't dismiss all at once mm -hmm. unless we're going to walk together as a group, right? So that's transition. What was the other thing I said I would do outside of transition? I don't I recall. I don't even remember, but that's a Doesn't perfect, matter. simple strategy that anyone can take into their classroom. It's so important because not everyone is listening to us when we give our instructions. Mm -hmm. So if you give them those little countdown warnings, tell them the cue word mm -hmm. for when you can actually start moving, and then keep it really simple, direct, three-step instructions. Yeah, computer, desk, behind your chair, go. And I even heard you repeat it in the way that you were modeling it there. Yeah. Like you would actually say it twice just in case mm -hmm. somebody is actually just in the middle of something and then they mm -hmm. actually can then shift to hearing what you have to say. Yeah. That's, I mean, so good. I think it was marking. Mm. It was marking. Yeah, tell me more. Right? So. Kids have binders in grade six, okay? Let's talk about grade four, five, six, probably two, three as well. So, so when kids are looking for things in the classroom, there are only three places work should be um, if they're, they're looking for it. So, you know, they will hand their homework in 
to the homework bin, and there's another bin which is the work in progress bin. Okay, but once I've marked something, it either goes into a certain binder for a subject, so let's say for language or math, it'll go potentially in their portfolio, right? Or it's in their white bin to go home. That's it. Mm -hmm. So that way, you know, if I don't need it here in the class, but it's been marked, and a parent needs it or should see it, it'll go home with the child. If it's something they need to bring back, again, it's either in one of their binders or in their portfolio. So if a kid is looking for something, they know to try the, the bins first, the homework bin, the work in progress bin, mm -hmm. or their white bin, which is where they keep stuff. So there's three bins, or there would be three binders. That's it. And if they can't find it, they have to focus on a solution. It means mm -hmm. they've lost it in transit. It's so straightforward. And I think even teachers who are teaching multiple classes in the same space can take some of those nuggets into whatever context they're in. Like just be really clear and straightforward with where things belong in your classroom, a mm -hmm. place for everything and mm -hmm. everything in its place. Yeah. All right. And in closing the room itself, um, stuff on the walls isn't necessarily for decoration. I mean, obviously what we put up decorates the room. Mm-hmm. But right away on the first day or in the first week, I take portraits of the kids. Uh, I'm not saying this is easy, but I zip around with a camera and the photos that are taken the first day or the first week, um, they are portraits that go on the front of their portfolio that right away, these are the kids. This is our room. It's not just my room. It's our room. Mm -hmm. And I take photos too of them around the school. Uh, at different times throughout the year and I have like these magnet things that kind of go up on the doors to create a, a culture that this is our room yeah. it's not just my room and the last thing will be you know s specific areas of the room are de designated for specific things we are currently working on or learning so they can actually go and use and refer to what is on the wall um, it's also information. I mean, people talk about documentation, right? So it's a form of documentation. Um, visitors can come in too, whether it's someone, a prospective family, um, or if a parent or younger child wants to know what's going on in the room. So my students can take them through what's going on in the room. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do that. Kids can do that. Whether it's a math problem they've worked on, a current issue, uh, you know, those YouTube clips that they brought in or the cartoons, as I mentioned at the beginning. Um, yeah, so I'll stop there. That's beautiful. Like, just, I, I won't be able to show the students' faces in the film clip of your classroom, mm -hmm. but just, like, you should know that these photos are also stunning of these children, and they just look so vibrant and full of life and smiling, and it's it brings a really nice touch when, like, each child has their portrait up For somewhere. every good photo, there's, like, <laughs> ten poor yeah, ones, yeah, so of course. You, you go with the one that, that works, right? Yeah, but it takes a good skill to be able to the first time, that's capture sure. that. No. Uh, okay, are you ready for the ticket out the door? A sure. series of random questions I don't have to you. answer, like, in a British voice or something like that. You definitely should, in fact. Mm. That'll be the next requirement on the show. All right, here we yeah, go. Yeah, for your next guest. <laughs> uh, what is the best gift you've ever received from a student? Mm. So I'm going to indirectly answer that. 
<laughs> Go for it. Okay, trust me. So I was very fortunate in my first teaching placement in formerly East York. There was a gentleman, can I mention his name or no? You can, yeah, yeah, I think you can, as long as it's not okay. a student. Okay, the gentleman's name was Ralph Cuthbertson. He was the principal at the school where I was having my placement. And at the end of my placement, in partnership with the other teacher candidates, he gave us an empty file folder, and he wrote the word raves on it. Not like, you know, like <laughs> not the dance club sort of thing, but, and he said, what I want you to do is throughout your career from time to time, whether it's from a child or a, f a family, they will give you, whether it's a handwritten note or send you an email or something um, heartfelt that celebrates your time with them. And I want you to collect those mm. and keep those for the days when you either feel beat up or things don't go the way you thought they might. Um, these are your character references, but they're also just why you teach. So over the years, whenever there's been a, a hand scribbled note, whether the kid's been in grade one, whether they have clear penmanship or not, um, I'm deeply appreciative to the students and the families that take time to, to send me something. And I hope that all of us in the profession at some point have those moments. They're important. They're life moments that kind of reaffirm what we do, and it's important. Um, and so I put them in there, and I'm, mm. I'm grateful for all of them. Um, you know, not to sound cheeky or arrogant, just, you know, I've been fortunate over my 24 years that, that families and kids have taken time. Yeah. And that's what I would hope for, for all of us in this profession. That's beautiful. I love it. Uh, back into the rapid fire mode sorry uh, what's your favorite book to read to young people any age i love reading short stories to the kids Stuart mclean mm -hmm. um some kids struggle with with reading dense text and so short stories can be an access point to some kids yeah i love it but the one i typically read at the beginning of the school year uh, is not high literature but it's called the the worst now they cross out the word worst and it's the best school year ever mm. and i think it's, it's by barbara it's right behind us i'll have to i'll find it okay. i'll put it in the show notes yeah. that's awesome uh what's your favorite school safe snack <laughs> school safe snack i don't know i go for like i think a, a good nature bar you buy them at costco i don't yeah the nut-free kind the nut -free obviously kind, yeah, yeah yeah uh what's your favorite place in canada to visit Ooh, I love our country. Um, I would have to say Tofino's pretty special to myself and my family. We were out there. We have family on the West Coast. Not in Tofino, but we made it out there. But I'm also, my dad's from The Rock, from Newfoundland. Mm. And we also have spent time there and love it there. So the other the coast. coasts. Yeah, we love yeah. the coasts. If you weren't a teacher, what would you be doing professionally? Oh. I don't know. I have a passion for photography. Mm -hmm. I guess I dreamed that I would love to be a professional photographer. Um, but um, the other, I also love music. So maybe I would be some type of like sound engineer. Yeah. Uh, who is your favorite educational celebrity? Um, educational celebrity. I still get a kick out of Bill Nye yeah <laughs> like he just makes learning fun and even uh -huh. though like the videos 
or the DVDs are so... I don't think they're DVDs anymore now, Russell. I feel like you're dating yourself. It's just clips. Actually, I'll never forget one time when we were working together, I said said something about a CD. And you said, like, what are you, stuck in the 90s? And it was like, actually, I am. It was like an arrow through my heart, but I was okay with it. Yeah. It was very funny. The 90s are a great time. I'm not going to fight the 90s. Okay, finally, uh, what do you think the future of learning is? can you refine that for me that question yeah so let me tell you a little bit about that question so cohort 21 has the tagline rethinking learning for the 21st century Um, a lot of people listening are part of the cohort 21 community clearly there's other people too that are tuning in Um, but I always think it's interesting like where do we think this educational journey is taking us all so what do you think the future of learning is i don't know where it's taking us (laughs) but i do know what is important to me based on my experience and sort of looking at our world and being a parent um i really believe in a holistic lens Mm. mind body spirit like i'm not talking religion for those of you not familiar with holistic learning but you know, not just necessarily filling up or supporting learning for the mind, mm-hmm. but I also believe in outdoor education and, you know, spirit, whether a student, you know, you have a group of kids that are into cooking or into art or horseback ride. I don't know, but there are different access points for different kids and different groups of kids. And so that balance, like, I really think that's important. You know, when we talk about wellness, Mm -hmm. and mental health these days we live in a pretty amped up world it's a beautiful world you know the news lines up at the door to sort of show us the negative and the dark but i think it's our job as educators to be mindful of that balance that's a perfect note to end on thank you so much chris russell for joining us today it was fun. I wasn't <laughs> sure what to expect. This was fun. It's great. I'm so um, glad you that. I just hope I haven't put people to sleep, but you never know. I am so grateful to Chris for not putting me to sleep and also for bringing me into his classroom to talk about what he does so well as an educator. Posted on the Teaching Tomorrow blog will be some videos of a quick walk through Chris's teaching space to get a visual reference for some of the things he mentioned in this episode. That's all the time we have for today, folks. Go build your hockey rink. And remember, we are teaching tomorrow.